Welcome to Microdose Psychedelic Insights, powered by the Conscious Fund. This is the Sci-Fi Series, discovering the cutting-edge science and research in psychedelic medicine. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast, where we talk to leading industry researchers, clinicians, and experts to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. I'm really excited for today's episode. I'm joined here by Dr. Stuart Seidman. Uh, I've been looking forward to this episode. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining us. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so, you know, I know you work in the psychedelic space. I think your audience would really benefit if you could, you know, introduce yourself a little bit and talk about, you know, uh, just a, a little bit about what you do. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I, I'm a fan of the podcast and uh, I'm a big fan of the space, of psychedelic space these these days. I'm, uh, I come at, at it from a different perspective than most in the space. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a practicing psychopharmacologist on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And my day-to-day is taking care of the patients that we're, that we're looking to help. I treat almost exclusively the toughest of the tough. In fact, you, you wouldn't come to me if you're kind of an easy, take a Prozac and call me in the morning kind of patient. My average patient is on about 10 different medicines at all kinds of you know, unusual doses, unusual medication treatments. And uh, I use ketamine, I prescribe uh, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, all kinds of different treatments with the one laser focused goal, getting people better. And, that, and that's what we do in a very aggressive way. On my academic side, I've been a, I've been a researcher at Columbia for many years. The, the focus my, of my research was testosterone with depression. And so I've done multiple, I've been, you know, principal investigator of multiple clinical trials where we gave testosterone versus placebo with SSRI without to men with depression. And that gives me an interesting perspective in that virtually all of my studies were negative. And so mm-hmm. much as it was not good for my career, it was good science. Right. And so the chips fell where they fell. And, and it makes me a very uh, careful and skeptical scientist about anything that is supposed to work. And for example, the, the classic, you know, when I got into the testosterone field, it was a given that men, it, it's almost a no brainer, right? Man has depression and low testosterone. Well, you give him testosterone, the depression is going to get better. That's, that's obvious. But when we did it, against placebo in the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled clinical trials, it did not beat. In fact, placebo won. And in fact, I had placebo responders who got acne and all the and aggression and all of the side effects of testosterone. So it's uh, it's humbling and it gives pause to anyone who thinks they know what they're doing um, or they know that a drug works. Absolutely. Um, and so that's my background. And then of late, I met um, Ken, who's the leader of our fund. And, and he and Vadim have developed a fund called Negative Capital. And Negative Capital has a laser focus on psychedelic um, treatments. And in fact, we've not, not fully, but we've mostly avoided the side plays, the, the clinics, the software, the rest of it. We're very interested in the molecules 
and the clinical trials and the, you know, taking them through to the end of the line. Um, and it's, it's been quite a ride. I, you know, just before this meeting, we had three uh, hour long uh, Zoom sessions about, you know, three from, four from our side and four from the other side in three discrete companies, very interesting companies, where we went through the nuts and bolts. You know, the assumption, uh, you've, you've seen these, you know, they come with a deck and they try yes. to sell you. And because we were very careful and very prepared and we have um, Kostya, who's our, our research guy, we've, we look at the deck in advance and the conversation we have is after the deck, you know, all of the subtleties. And of course, in this space, and, and I've learned quickly, it's not only about the space, it's about how cheap the stock is, you know, it's about many things, where they are in the development. And so we really dive in. And as you know, the due diligence, much of the due diligence is about IP. And, and what they have, is it first generation? Is it second generation? And we, we cannot avoid getting into the nitty gritty of the science, which really is, how does this work? How do psychedelics work in the human brain? Again, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist who gives, you know, Prozac or, you know, lithium or medicine for people to take every day. So how am I to understand an intervention where you get one six to eight hour spiritual, uh, mystical experience, and you're not an alcoholic anymore, or you're not depressed anymore, or you're, you know, you're not anything anymore. I mean, in my world, those things come back the next day, right? You yeah. know, you know, my treatments, you don't do once. Yeah. So it, it's been, the thing, again, I'm on a tangent a little bit, but the thing that changed my thinking in this regard is TMS. Do you know anything about TMS? Not too much. Transmagnetic uh, stimulation. Correct. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, our group at Columbia was the first group. So I, I know something about this. We also did other unusual treatments, but TMS, it turns out that if you rotate a magnetic field, you cause an electric current, right? You, mm -hmm, right. Basic physics. So there, there are these helmets that rotate magnetic field and allow us to stimulate specific areas of the brain. The reason why I'm mentioning this is up until TMS, there was no treatment that fixed the brain and you got better. But since TMS, some patients, and these are tough patients. These are people with treatment resistant depression, very difficult patients. They have the treatment. Again, it's it's a very serious treatment. You have to go every day for about six weeks. But after that treatment, you're fixed. You're, uh -huh. you're better in, in a way that nothing... And, and by the way, you would think ECT, shock therapy, would be another example, but it's not. Anyone who knows shock knows that it doesn't last. It right. works, but you got to keep getting shock therapy for it to keep working. Right. Whereas TMS, something different happened. And so until TMS, I would have rolled my eyes at the psychedelic claims that the stuff works and people get better. But since then, I've, I've changed somewhat. And, you know, again, as Robin Carhart Harris describes, 
you know, something about these networks, something, you know, the default mode network, again, there's a lot of hand waving around this, but, you know, something about these networks really do matter, or, you know, kind of a reset, something yeah. can really happen in the I brain. I hear that a lot. That changes, changes things in a profound way, in a profound and long lasting way. Now, I, I should add at this point, and sorry for babbling on. I, no, no, not at all. It's so interesting. Um, I should add that both with TMS and with psychedelic, we all know it doesn't fix the brain. People get better, and then they need a refresher maybe six months later, three to six months later. That's, that's what it looks like from the underground. I actually have honestly never prescribed or seen the effect of psychedelics for psychiatric indications. Uh, you know, obviously they're illegal, but I wouldn't even wink and say I do it quietly. I, I really don't. You know, mm. people tell me things, but I'm not part of those treatments. But what they tell me is that three to six months is it. Sure. Whereas I have plenty of experience with ketamine. I prescribe ketamine routinely, intranasal ketamine, and that clearly works in different ways. Wow. There's so many things that you mentioned I want to touch on from uh, wanting to explore the fun that you talked about a little bit more. That's been really interesting, you know, with Microdose being incubated out of the Conscious Fund, you know, and working with Henri and Richard, it's been really interesting to see their portfolio of companies and just how that whole landscape is evolving. To hear about the kind of patients you work with is super fascinating and how these medicines are just you know, completely causing a paradigm shift in neuropsychiatry uh, and, and, you know, from taking a medicine every single day to you're right, somehow inducing some sort of long lasting brain changes, whether they be scaffolding or, you know, BDNF induced or who knows what's happening, you know, there's still so much that's unknown. Uh, and then kind of taking the field forward from there. There's a lot of fascinating things that you brought up, Doug. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of hand waving. There's a lot we don't know that we're assuming. And that's a little bit the unfortunate part for me. I, I am a scientist. I, I've always, you know, I'm only recently a venture capitalist. I'm sure. really mostly a scientist. That's my real identity. And as a scientist, we would go about studying this in a very different way from the way that's being pushed now again, monetize, you know, get the next generation, get IP, monetize it and move it through phase one, two, three, you know, it's, it's, you, you know, you feel the push behind you. Even yeah. if you're not, in, you just feel this. If you're not in that, you're, you're outside of the mainstream. You, you, you almost, it's a vortex. You get sucked into the all right. What's, when's your next? When's your phase two? When? When's your meeting with the FDA? What? You have? You haven't met with the FDA? What? What are you? What are you? You know. Whereas as yeah. a scientist, we respect the slow, steady. You know, as a scientist, we want people to be. Again, it's a, a little different because these drugs aren't so easy to play with in the clinic, and that's an unfortunate effect of whatever, uh, the legal status. But if we could play with these drugs, if someone like me, someone who, you know, those of us who treat patients and, you know, we, you know, I, I see patients for 30 minutes. So right. in, in a busy day, it's 20 to 30 patients. That's a lot of patients right. every day. And they're all sick. They've all got a lot of psychopathology right. um, in the 
concrete ways that we want to treat. And so if you gave me a bunch of this stuff and I could, you know, get my hands on it, I'd come up with a few good hypotheses about how it works. You know, you just you just give it to people. That's how we do the rest of our psycho farm. We we play with meds, we play with inter interventions. But it's not really being done that way. It's, you know, phase one. I mean, of, of course, with psilocybin, LSD, DMT, it's a little complicated because they've been around for a long time and and they were studied for a while. Right, but they but, can't uh, be patented. Can't be patented. And we don't have the, the kind of hands-on um, experience to play with it. So it's an entirely open, and we, we I, I've spoken directly with, I don't know, 20 to 30 CEOs of these startups, right? And so I know the different plays and and the um, one play is the microdose, right? right. I, I mean, I can even, uh, give a list of the plays. There's the microdose play. There's, well, you know, there's the next generation play. Yeah, they there's, kind of go hand in hand because like the next, the, a lot of the second gen psychedelics are trying to capitalize on the fact that microdosing is subperceptual. So they're trying to create non-hallucinogenic forms of those drugs, you know, but yeah. the, I guess the interesting argument I would make is in absence of some sort of behavioral intervention, even if you induce a period of neuroplasticity, if you're still doing the same things every day, that could be even worse because you could just, you know, re-cement old habits. We don't, we don't know. We don't know, that. right. We don't know, we don't know that. that. We don't know that. I mean, that's a hypothesis that, right. that the therapy is an effective part. I, I mean, it it blows me away the effects. I you know, the, I mean, even the smoking. I think the smoking uh, effect isn't talked about enough. That that could be the biggest. You mean the smoking cessation studies oh. that took place at Hopkins? Yeah. Yeah, and that could be the most important. I mean, smoking is horrible. So yeah. you know, smoking gives more. You know, probably alcohol is up there with smoking. I I don't know. I, I should know more about this, but I don't. Uh, but smoking is huge. Yeah. Smoking is huge. If, if we, yeah. And the numbers are We're unreal. Oh, yeah. Unreal. And, you know, the beauty scientifically is you can know if they're smoking by the blood test, right? You, right. You know yeah. the ones who are smoking versus not. Whereas otherwise, everyone would lie to you because they, right. they want to <laughs> stop smoking. But they really stop smoking. They yeah. really stop smoking. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. a really tough one to kick, you know? And so that really yes. uh, gives us really radical insight into how these drugs could treat other, uh, you know, I, I would say more serious addictions because, you know, we're talking about things like opiates today and methamphetamine and stimulants and, you know, drugs like Ibogaine and uh, I guess the next generation, potentially MC18 and things of that nature, you know, like that mind med, for example, are developing. Uh, they really do have a lot of potential and there are so many different plays. You're right. You know, and I've seen a lot of the decks like you talked about. And it's interesting to see how some people are sticking with the traditional molecule, but trying to for, for a patent a new delivery system, you know, so it's still DMT, but they're trying to do like an intranasal delivery mm -hmm. system or maybe IV or something. Some, of course, are doing the integrated clinic approach, you know, and then, of course, there's a whole novel IP drug development plays that like Big Pharma is taking. But but with each of those strategies, you need a theory of how it's working. So the DMTers, 
claim that, well, if we could do a short, quick experience, we can make it easier. But again, the, the Robin Carr Harris and, and um, uh, Griffiths, you know, claiming that you need the big mystical experience to get the effect kind of runs against the short, short experience. You may be losing something big. What's your theory about the addiction side of things? Uh, I'd like to hear. You know, I was watching Dr. Erica Zelfan's CME. We have a medically accredited CME course that we offer through Microdose for clinicians. And so I just watched her module on addiction, you know. And what's really interesting, for example, the ketamine research has showed that a large bolus psychedelic dose of ketamine uh, caused lower relapse rates in heroin users than like smaller microdoses or non-psychedelic or sub-psychedelic doses of ketamine. Know. Uh, of course, with the smoking cessation studies at Hopkins, they got a psychedelic mystical experience dose and these people quit smoking. Uh, and for someone that, you know, I think a lot of us today, if not everyone through at least one to two degrees of separation knows someone affected by the opioid ep um, epidemic, uh, that's really promising data, you know. So I do think that like what Eric, Dr. Zelfan talked about is there's two things that need to be addressed. And psychedelics, interestingly, kind of do both versus traditional MAT only affects the neurochemical, you know, interrupts and interrupts the use of the drug of choice. You can use methadone or suboxone to cause like a blockade, partial agonism, uh, partial antagonist, but psychedelic, but the other part of the addiction is the trauma that underlies the addiction, you know, uh, because the, the drugs were always a solution, not the problem. You know, the drugs were just the, the coping mechanism. So psychedelics can interestingly, you know, in, this, in, in the sense of Ibogaine can technically do both. It can cause that chemical interruption neurochemically, and it can also help some people address their traumas and open up a window of neuroplasticity where some deeper work can be done. And I think addiction can really be addressed in the way it never has been before. Right, right. But in, in those two sentences, I mean, you just gave about three or four testable hypotheses in mm -hmm. what you just said. You know, sure. maybe trauma, maybe it isn't. I, you know, okay. um, uh, Pollen says, why don't we give some people, anesthetize them and give, give them the big trip while they're under anesthesia. Oh, and wow. Others, ah, and see, you know, see what happens. It may I never just... thought about that. That's wild. What a crazy, like you put someone under ketamine-induced anesthesia. I don't know if you use propofol or something, but like you totally knock them out. General anesthesia, like you mean with oh, a breathing tube. Oh, and then you the give experience. them like, wow. That, I've never heard anyone even like, uh, I don't know if Michael Pollan suggested that. That's my idea. That's, that's Michael Pollan's idea. Okay, wow. Isn't that great? Because yeah. then you can take out the, the experience from the drug effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder I, if you'd I, experience any of it in a dream like state, or maybe. Well, you want because it wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be in a REM state to experience it or not at all. Probably not. But we we understand um, so little about the uh, anesthetic plane as well. You know, it's not like we totally understand what happens to the human brain under anesthesia. So that's right. But but listen, I in my experience, I you know I um in New York City I order ketamine from a compounding pharmacy that puts it into a nasal spray. Yeah. And so I you know I I just dis, I discuss it with the patient. These these of course are no patients who are uh, referred to me for this. These are only my own patients who mm -hmm. I've brought through multiple trials and they're just not doing well enough and and it seems the right thing for them. So. 
I know them well, we have a relationship and we go through it. But what's interesting is I'm a psychopharmacologist. I don't do therapy, although you might consider some aspects of what I do therapy, but it's more supportive. I mean, I like my patients. We chit chat. Right, sure. I, I wouldn't call it therapy in any way. You know, I, when I first meet them, we spend an hour and a half. I do a very thorough eval and then they come in every 30 minutes, every uh, three to six months for 30 minutes. It's not therapy. Sure. So I've got at least 150 patients who I've given ketamine in this way, which is they come in, they do, you know, about 60 milligrams and I have other patients coming. So I have to have them go sit in the waiting room while I'm seeing other people just, you know, so they come down from the high or whatever it is, but they still do well without the psychotherapy. Hey, sure. to you yeah, yeah. They do, they do well. Now, maybe they would do better with some therapy. I don't know. But, I, uh, you know, it's hard to know what does it, but something about the drug itself, the sure. NMD, you know, blocking, yeah, whatever. I, something I, I think with, ket- I think it's different with different, with different compounds too, you know, and I think ketamine definitely has that, that, that benefit that uh, perhaps maybe other modalities, at least to where we understand it so far, maybe do or don't. Uh, but I definitely in the data and the literature, and even in my own experience, I've gotten ketamine infusion therapy before. I've had the, uh, actually, even at the moment, I had the pleasure of going to Field Trip Health and experiencing what that's like in Chicago. So it's been really, really cool to be able to experience that. I know in the Netherlands, they do psilocybin too. So that's on my list of places to visit at one point, you know, in life. Um, so listen, help me understand this. So, so if if you don't mind being self-revealing, uh, sure. what's your... What's your reason for getting IV ketamine? So this is IM, intramuscular at Field Trip Health, although I have gotten IV before. Uh, and I guess general anxiety, and I've had issues with opiates in the past uh, and some chronic pain. So like, luckily I've kind of put that behind me, but the pain stuff, the ketamine really helps to kind of go deeper for me and to address some of the issues that I feel like both physiologically have caused me some issues and uh, also psychologically as well. Right. I, and I found it extremely beneficial for sure. Combined with holotropic breath work has been really uh, profoundly therapeutic for me. So whatever got you hooked on uh, opiates or generates anxiety mm-hmm. has to do with early life or whatever, things that happen to you and things that are sitting in there. Sure. Ketamine brings you to a place where your consciousness is a little wider Mm-hmm. And you can, do you feel like you're addressing those things or they're just not as important anymore? I feel like it's so interesting that you asked that question right now, because I'm kind of three or four treatments in to the six that they have suggest, you know, for the first few weeks. Uh, and we, so we do it with, a, I do it with a therapist there, you know, so she kind of like writes down right. things that I say during the journey. And then we talk about them after, you know, which yes. is really Talking to you during? Is she asking yeah, so, you things? So, sometimes, no, no, she doesn't things? talk to me, but I say stuff sometimes. Usually, I always say things, you know, during the journey. Like as, and I won't remember what they all are, you know, just because it's such a quick experience sometimes. Uh, but I have noticed that, it, like you said, it's kind of opened my perspective, you know, into like what matters physically and emotionally. And I just started kind of feeling better. 
so there was no reason, you know, especially when I first got this treatment a couple of years ago. And, and that, at that time it was IV and it wasn't with a therapist, just in a room by myself. And then I would leave uh, in, a, in a clinic in Chicago, Innovative Academy. Now this is a different kind of format of future health. Was that helpful? Was that helpful? It was, I feel like this is more helpful what I'm doing at Field Trip now, but I've also kind of progressed in my journey uh, you know, psycho-spiritually as well in, in that time. But I also found the ketamine IV by myself very, very helpful. So like to, to, your, to what you're saying, I think that, I don't think that there's necessarily with ketamine a psychotherapy element that's required for its benefit. Uh, at, all, at, at all. I think perhaps it might help some patients go even, even deeper, um, but that's not to say ketamine by itself can't be very therapeutic. Right. Well, presumably you're an introspective guy. And so mm -hmm. even without someone, you know, talking to you about what's going on right. during your experience, you, you traveled inward in ways yeah. that were helpful to you. Absolutely. Or not, or it was just a good mood med. I, you know, a friend of mine just recently was, you know, his friends got high a little bit and he had never tried ketamine. So he tried some and he tried a few squirts and he didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But then the next day he said something changed. And yeah. So it's very, there was no therapy. There was no high. Right. But the 12 hours later, like it's expected, his mood lifted. And, you know, he had a chronic anxiety mood problem. His mood lifted and he felt and he didn't want to do the ketamine again for highness. But that mood lifting only lasted for a week or so and then went sure. down again. And sure. I'm helping him get some ketamine because it's life changing, not yeah. with therapy. Not with getting high. You know, I've had some patients who got so high from it. They yeah. said, this is just getting high. You're just keeping me high. That's yeah. why the depression's better. But it's not that. It's no, not because it wears high. off so fast. You know, it, 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 it's well, a rapid onset. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The psychedelic experience for sure, if you push it that far, it's very short acting. You know, so right. there must be some, to me, I feel like there must be some neurochemical, neurophysiological changes that start to very immediately take place that, for example, SSRIs in some people cause maybe similar changes, but after a month or two or three, you know, like uh, if they're lucky and they have the same kind of results people have with ketamine like that. And that's kind of right. amazing, you know? Uh, and so it's really amazing the, the kind of the work you're doing is you must have, uh, you, so you, you must treat a lot of patients with, with ketamine and have had a lot of firsthand experience in witnessing its, you know, therapeutic power. Yes, the, the, you know, the challenge with ketamine, I found right. ah, it's not such a challenge, but it flies in the face of the Spravato. You know about Spravato, yeah. right? The, mm -hmm. So yeah. it's very expensive, Spravato. Right. People only get approved for a few months, whereas the vast majority of my patients, they do so well on it. I keep they them do better on at Spravato than Racemic? No, no, no. It's the oh. same. I, I haven't, oh, okay. first of all, it makes no sense because I, you know, I, I give them a uh, nasal inhaler, it costs about $150 for four or five months supply. Oh, wow. Whereas Spravato is thousands for a few months. But right. the real challenge with Spravato is you have to stop. You know, you can't keep getting approved for Spravato. Right. So, and it's a big hassle to get approved. Right. So, um, 
and the cost is is crazy expensive. That and that speaks a little bit to, you know, we've we've had some conversations. Well, I I don't want to. Whatever. There are drug company pricing challenges uh -huh. that are related to how reimbursement works. Right. Um, you know, if someone has an indication, then they get reimbursed, even if the price is 10 times higher than one could get it generically. Right. But again, that indication allows them to charge unusually high prices. Yeah, we don't have to go there. I, I don't want to. But there are a lot of people in the ketamine world kind of locking in IP on a use patent right. and pushing to get regular ketamine approved for this, that, or that. And then they'll get the insurance reimbursement because it's the only indication, even though it'll be 10 times the price. It's so interesting trying to fit psychedelic drugs into our very limited, complicated, you know, like web of tunnels of, with insurance, you know, framework that we have in reimbursement. And of course, then there's going to be that race for IP. And, you know, how much of that is really the chemist trying to optimize efficacy and reduce side effects and how much of it is just them trying to tweak something to get a patent you know and it's always yeah. going to be the debate i don't know if that's ever going to go anywhere um but yeah. it's a real concern and in this field it you know, is it's also interesting go ahead well let's not forget that compass is talking about twenty thousand dollars per experience right and yeah people get psilocybin for far less you can hire people and you know for twenty thousand dollars you get yeah. you know a lot more but of course grandma's not getting you know psilocybin you know whatever right. quality and standardizing it and having the two therapists there and doing it in the careful way but yeah. the, the uh it is a big part of this field the economics and and who's mm -hmm. paying and how you're going to get it approved yeah, and there's so many different ways to go about it, you know, like, the, of course, like the, the drug development play is where the lion's share of capital is right now, you know, but the fact of the matter is there is a lot of other, uh, there are a lot of other, other opportunities for people to engage in psychedelic medicine. Of course, they can travel to retreats, they can go to integrated clinics, they can get involved with ketamine right now. And ketamine, I think, is establishing uh, the framework for how we might treat other psychedelics when they make it to these clinics, you know, ketamine is clinically advantageous because, you know, it, it only lasts an hour at the most, more give or take 40 minutes to an hour, you know, versus psilocybin, MDMA, those are more cost prohibitive and time prohibitive because they take hours, you know? So then there's these place to reduce, you know, to create like an LSD compound that only lasts two hours long, which would be pretty cool, right. I think, you know, because 12 hours is a big commitment. Um, but yeah, it's just- but it depends. I, would, I would do the 12 hours if it works six times as much as the two hours, True. you know, if, right. or if it lasts yeah. times longer, right? Again, there's so much we just don't know. There's so much yeah. we just don't know about how it works, about how yeah. it works. So we what, will eventually, I mean, it'll take some of these companies failing because yeah. they will make enough capital out there. Some of the microdose plays will make it through phase two and we'll know, we'll, we'll have right. it studied again. We'll know whether there's a signal there. So I'm curious, you know, what are you, uh, I think it'd be cool if you talked a little bit about your fund, you know, uh, I think it'd be interesting for the people that know what that was, you know, the venture capitalists in the space are kind of, you know, excited about the future and also as a physician and a, and a caregiver for patients, you know, uh, what are you really excited about moving forward? 
Um, it's, it's a good question. Uh, listen, it's a terrific fund and Ken is, is a terrific partner to, to work with. Mm -hmm. His passion uh, comes from a lot of places. It, um, and it's a very, it's been a wonderful experience for me. It's called the Neg Negev Fund? Negev, Negev, which Negev. is a desert here okay. in Israel. I'm actually in Israel right now. Oh, cool. Um, I'd like to ask you where you are in the world. Nice. Yes. We're, I, I actually travel to New York and Israel every month. Um, so so we're, we're focused on, well, listen, there are two generations of uh, psychedelic molecules. I still love the first generation, even though they're not great money makers yet. The second generation players have not quite proved that, that they're better. I, certainly they'll make more money, but they haven't proved that they're better than first generation. We've got a nice group of first generation drugs that we should be studying very aggressively. And, and so we're certainly invested in companies that are trying to latch IP onto first generation like deuterated uh, DMT and, yeah. and, you know, uh, skin patches and, and you know, uh, sublingual films and all different ways. And of course, there are the use patents, right? Everyone has a use patent for their different indications. And the indications are great and they're fascinating, right? We've got cluster yeah. headaches, we've got pain, we've got, you know, depression, we've got anxiety and OCD. We've even got some orphan conditions, right? Orphan headache conditions. I mean, there are a lot of different. So again, on first generation, we've got trying to get IP around delivery and trying to get IP around the use. And there are plenty of companies there and we're very excited about a bunch of them. And then the second generation, of course, that's, that's the gold, at least on the money side. I don't know if it's on the science side, you know, on the science side, uh, testing microdose psilocybin is as good as testing microdose son of psilocybin. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the science is probably better to do it on the real psilocybin, though the money is on the son of psilocybin. Right. Um, but there, what we really like are smart players. And so most of our calls and interaction is really about execution and how, you know, certainly strategy and vision on where the, you know, where they see their niche. And we really like the well-focused teams. I, I'm, I'm sure you know this space. There are some shotgunners, you know, and again, yeah. I don't want to name names, but, you know, we've got a clinic here, we've got a new drug here, we've got, you know, a new delivery mechanism there, you know, like, again, the drug company world goes for shots on goal. And, you know, they want all the shots on goal they can get. But, you know, the laser focused ones are, are attractive. And to us, we like people, we invest in people, you know, people uh, is the whole thing. Um, we also I, I just uh, uh, something just uh, slipped away. Sorry. <laughs> no, but, no uh, worries. Yeah. We, uh, 
what I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much I can reveal. So I probably won't, I should, I won't talk about specific, but we've made yeah. um, eight, eight or so, and, and it's on our website anyway, we, we've made eight or so investments already. We're only open since February. Okay. Uh, we've got between 20, we have 20 million, but you know, between 20 and 50 million we're playing with. And our, our typical investment is anywhere from 250,000 to 2 million. Wow. So we're, we're moving, we're moving it around. We like very early companies, preclinical or phase one. And yeah. we like the good teams, the guys who know what they're doing. It's been so much fun. You know, listen, in, in the medical world, in the science world, we know who the smart people are. Right? You know, we know how to assess if someone knows what they're talking about. Um, and the, the backgrounds of some of the people have been terrific. And the science has been spot on for many of these people. So it's been very exciting. It's, it's been very different for me. It's a, it's a new world for me, this investment world. Again, because you introduce the, you know, obsession with IP, the obsession with value, you know, value at every moment, right? Uh, something that a year ago was 50 million, that's now a billion, doesn't leave us much upside, right? Yeah. If, if it's already a billion, all right, if, if it doubles to two, I mean, we're looking at much more upside because we're going in so early and at right. such high risk, our upside, we're looking at much more than 2x. Right. And so, but again, I'm new to that world. Ken is teaching me and it's it's fun. It's exciting. It's a little heady. It's a little intoxicating. Remember, I'm a I'm like a plumber. I'm a regular, yeah. you know, I'm a regular doctor. I see patient after patient. I don't I don't add zeros to my income the way these guys do. They, yeah, you know, I know. So it's it's, it's, yeah, new, it's a new world for me. That's really fascinating. And it's really cool to be able to, you know, give some of these early companies that opportunity, you know, and that and be able to give them that investment to take their operations to the next level. And it's been really, it's really colorful space. There's a lot of different people trying a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, one of the things I found really interesting as a biologist, say stepping a little bit away from mental health is just, there's a lot of people trying to utilize for example, the anti-inflammatory properties of certain psychedelic compounds use magnetic technology to directly deliver them into the brain. Or I know Dr. Hausman at Pills, uh, now it's Nova Mentis, is looking into autism and gut bacteria and how since more serotonin is produced in the gut than the brain, and these are serotonergic drugs, can serotonergic drugs change the gut expression of serotonin that can change, for example, the autism profile or pathogenesis? I mean, there's so many, so many things happening right now. Right. And I mean, you're right. It, you know, the inflammatory, the neurogenesis, the, all, all of the rest of, it, rest of it, this is science. This, the, you know, this is science. And sometimes the finance gets in the way of, a little bit because needing to monetize it so early, you know, derails some of the slow Good methodical scientific, uh, way, you know, animal models. I mean, in science, we've spent a long time on animal models. We don't just, you know, do the, do the rats quickly so we can get to phase one. We, you know, we want to learn something or le learn right. something more. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, again, there's a lot of hand waving also. 
but we in the science world are used to that. You know, the hand yeah. waving and the theories. I mean, you know, the theories that don't pan out, and that's good. That you know, in this finance world, some of the hand waving is a con job. They're trying to you know say things to get you to invest. Right. Whereas in the science world, it's a hypothesis. It's a testable theoretical hypothesis. Sure. You know, the, like the, the serotonin in the gut and the, you know, the, those interactions. It sounds good. I wouldn't put money on it yet until we right. studied it. Um, so is it out there as a hypothesis or is it out there to get people to invest? Uh, mm -hmm. It's hard to know. Yeah, that is something, you know, I, it, it requires a healthy amount of skepticism in this space. And I'm sure, you know, being a scientist, you bring that to the table and, you know, uh, a lot of robust experience as a clinician as well. Uh, you know, we're drawing close to an end here. And I always give my guests the opportunity to have the last word and share, uh, you know, whether it's an anecdote or a message or a quote or, you know, uh, whatever you wanted to impart to our audience. I, I wanted to give you this opportunity to do that, Dr. Seidman. Oh, I, I should have thought this through earlier. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. I, I just, just as a clinician, you know, I'm closer to the people who will benefit from this. Although it's, it's striking how many of the people like yourself step up right early on and say, yeah, I, you don't remember the old hair commercials where the guy would say, and I'm, I'm also a, uh, you know, you know, the guy would take the wig off, you know, they'd be, Late at night, they'd be selling the toupees, and he'd sure. say, "And I'm also a customer," and he'd take it off. But how many people <laughs> also, also customers have, have suffered, or or have family members who have suffered through this? Through again, treatment-resistant psychiatric problems are very bad things. Addictions are very bad things. They they consume one's one's life. They're they're pervasive. They they affect attachments and family and the ability yeah. to enjoy and you know it, it really derails people from the life they want to live. And so that's really what we're looking for. And and I am now convinced. You know, again, I'm very on top of the studies going through. I, I'm now convinced that this is disruptive. This is absolutely disruptive technology for my field, for psychiatry, and especially my niche of psychiatry, which is treatment-resistant conditions, you know, especially treatment-resistant depression and anxiety. This, this is going to change everything. It's going to change everything. Uh, yeah, that was uh, really eloquently put and you know your passion really shines through in the way that you talk about what you do and you know we're really lucky that you know, the people that are kind of pioneering this field and helping the people get access to this medicines, you know, that need it the most, are, you know, are kind of being championed by people like you. So I'm really grateful we had this conversation today, Dr. Seidman. Thank you so much. I hope you come back on the show real soon and, you know, we can get an update on the fund and what you're up to, you know. Thanks so much for your kind words. It's been nice chatting with you. Yeah, you, you too. You too, Dr. Seidman. Take care. Bye. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks for joining the Sci-Fi series. Brought to you by Microdose and the Conscious Fund. Visit our website at www.microdose.buzz.